0: White people ignorantly believe that that is the way to to better schools and better achievement for students when it is proven, proven by numbers, that the greatest advancement in education in this country's history was during the time when the schools were integrated. When you started that little, uh, it was about a 10-year period of integration there. That was the greatest growth from the bottom up and it did not hurt the top at all. The scores remained high and started to, to move upwards. The bottom portion of students started to move upwards as well, and it was because of the equality that we talked about in this schools. All righty. Welcome in, boys and girls, your favorite weekly Alabama politics podcast Alabama politics this week uh, aptly named since that's how often we do it and that's what we talk about. Uh, I am Josh Moon. Uh, the other person who will be speaking with me here is
1: David person.
0: <laughs> oh I like the uh, I like the way you said that that was, ah, that was very
1: good I' yeah. trying to be precise.
0: Very, yeah very great. very deliberate delivery of yeah I I, I am Josh moon
1: so yeah <laughs> well you know start- people mangle my last name you know there's yeah i hear persons i, I hear pearson you know so yeah. i'm just trying to be precise so people and i oh, think you're actually person.
0: still in my phone as persons so uh yeah
1: it it happens it happens yeah. i'm, I'm used why. to it yeah just yeah, people
0: right. Right, but listen we we got a good show uh it's uh, we had uh, representative sam jones from mobile gonna be on Uh, Talk about some economic development issues and uh, things that are happening around the state uh, for the Democrats. Uh, But we're going to start and we'll also cover uh, Roy Moore and, um, you know, lots of lots of stuff there. But we're going to start with school choice and uh, allegedly school choice Hmm. uh, and uh, and Dale Marsh's uh, mother of all school bills, as he called it, which. It is a mother, but not A mother. It's a mother. Um, it's a mother huh? Yeah, it is a mother.
1: <laughs> um, you know,
0: I, I just don't, I, I, I'm, I struggle sometimes to kind of draw the line on what people are, are doing that is simply well-intentioned but misguided. Mm -hmm. And or purposefully hurtful. Um, And, you know, I I listened to the uh, to the Education Committee meeting yesterday, which passed this ridiculous bill out on a voice voice vote to go to the Senate. Um, and, And I heard Del Mar speak about it and him talk about how he's willing to work with anybody and how he just can't leave the Senate because apparently he's going to leave the Senate after this, his term is up um, and, uh, and, and, and have our schools be in last place in so many categories. And he wants to do something desperately to, to help parents who are, um, who are being forced to send their kids into struggling schools uh, or poor schools, uh, help them financially. Um, and, you know, I, I understand that to a degree. Um, but, you know, man, this ain't it, uh, you know, and because you can't, and this is my, also my trouble with his AAA bill that he passed, the Alabama Accountability Act bill, uh, you know, what it, because while you may help a certain number of people and families, um be able to recoup some resources, be able to send their kids to different places, uh, you know, uh, and, and that's all great, you know, that you're you're doing this. But when you, when you identify a failing school and you allow kids to transfer out of that school, you're going to leave behind, because you're not closing the school, so you're going to leave behind a certain percentage of students, whether it's 25% or 50%, you know, you're going to, in a school of 1,000 kids, you're talking about leaving behind 500 kids there in a school that is now labeled as failing, nobody wants to go to, has uh, instead of receiving more resources to help them overcome whatever problems that they're having, they now have less resources because all of this money has been taken out of the schools. And that's the same thing that's happening with this choice bill, is you're, you're further punishing struggling school systems and and you're doing it under the guise of, well, they're just not trying hard enough. You know, they're just, uh, you know, competition. He he said this in the meeting competition builds better schools. I don't Mm. know that that's ever been proven to be factual, uh, but I know what has been proven to be factual is that high poverty rates are a problem for all schools. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not identifying that, and, and helping in that area, you're not doing anything, man. You're hurting this school, and you're hurting the kids that are left behind in this school. And yeah. I, I just don't understand why we, we can't see that.
1: Well, and I, and I think you're, you're right. That's, that's, that's an obvious flaw in the logic. And, I'll, and I'm going to add some other things that I think make this problematic. One automatically is this. When you start talking about taking public money mm-hmm. that we all pay into mm-hmm. and diverting them to private institutions, mm-hmm. then you, you bring up, I think, some very obvious issues, which I think are really part of the agenda here. And that is to ultimately create a situation where uh, public money is helping to prop up or support religious institutions yes so now when you do that you know you you open up i think a floodgate of problems you know not the least of which is how do we how do we protect the constitutional rights not only of children in these schools these private schools and their parents uh but also of the taxpayers Mm -hmm. you know um Mm -hmm. You know, so that, that that I think, is a very real issue. And and, and there's and, no
0: accountability.
1: That's, and, the, that's the biggest problem for well, me, even more so than the religious aspect of it, to me,
0: yeah. is you have no accountability for those
1: places. Well, I think, well, yeah, you're right. There's no accountability. Uh, the taxpayer doesn't have any direct accountability for what happens at the school, even though they're helping to fund the school. Yes. And the schools are not falling under, you're right, they're not falling under the control of any. Uh, of the school boards or anything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Uh, but I, but I would still say for me as a person who comes out of a, a very, uh, you know, my mindset is very traditional Protestant mindset. Mm-hmm. There ought to be a separation, a clear line of separation between church and state. And this blurs that line. And I yeah. think that then, that then raises other complications and issues. And then the final thing I'll say, Josh, that concerns me about all of this is the question of equity, which goes back to what you started off with. So if you have if you have some mass exodus from uh from a public school, you know, from people who can who have the family infrastructure to do so. Because let's face it, even if you could theoretically, even if theoretically every single child had the ability to uh, take money, you know, take the state's money and leave a certain public school. Right. You still have a problem of then, well, how do we, what do we, how do we manage that flow? How do we manage, you know, the dispersion, the, 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 the distribution of the children? And so the reality is there are going to be kids who are not going to be able to, even with $6,300 in hand, who are not going to be able to transfer to another school, maybe because of family situation, maybe because the school that they're trying to get into is already filled, you know, what, whatever the dynamics are. And so then what happens to those children? What kind of mm-hmm. educational experience are they left with? So I'm saying that there's no guarantee of equity, of opportunity for, um, for a, a, an equitable, solid, quality education.
0: No, um, I, I agree. Um, and it's just, you know, and the other thing that, that really bothers me about this conversation that they were having is, mm-hmm. is they repeatedly said uh, during this meeting and, and in other uh, comments about this is that if we're going to do this, this is the time to do it because we're flush with cash. We have, we have more money in the education trust fund than ever before. Our budget is larger than ever before. We have so much money that we just, you know, we could do this and it's not really going to hurt. Uh, we're still going to maintain the per pupil uh, levels. Well, let me, I, yesterday on Twitter, I, I said, you know, I'd like to see something here. Uh, they say we're flush with cash. If you are a teacher or an administrator at a school, give me an example of what you don't have what you've had to pay for out of your own pocket. Mm -hmm. What, you know, what, 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 how, how flush with cash are we exactly? I'm going to read some of the comments that came. I mean, I've got, I've got like, thousands of comments off of this wow. thing. I mean, okay. I, I mean, there there are people sent me messages, uh, 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 they commented underneath here if they felt comfortable doing so. I've got probably two dozen emails from people. I've got direct messages uh, that have come. Uh, I, I don't even know how many direct messages I've got from people on here because I just stopped reading them after, after a period of time. But I just read the, the public comments uh, that, that were down there. Okay. Uh, Any extra furniture has to be paid for out of pocket because our state funds cannot purchase such items. So such as special chairs, bookshelves, uh, and, and snacks for the classes. All those comes out of, out of the teacher's pocket. Uh, this, this person bought classroom bookshelves, seat sacks, reading rugs, extra books, markers, paint, uh, manipulatives, pencils, paper, teacher chair, mini fridge for the kids' lunches, T-shirts for when they came to school wet from the rain because they lived too close for, uh, to get the bus. I hmm. uh, also had to buy a, dust pran, a dustpan and broom and other cleaning supplies. Um, they got uh, free hotspots for students in, re- uh, in, uh, in their local area because the school system didn't have the money and the time or resources to go out and get them. Uh, paper, all the decorative materials for the classroom, cleaning supplies, markers, paint for the classroom, snacks for students. Uh, another is a daughter of a teacher who just retired, said she donated all the stuff that she had bought over the years to new teachers. Uh, they had a storage building that they kept and they put supplies into that she could hand out to new teachers. Um, uh, they ha- uh this uh, person bought bought their own. They had to, the teachers had to buy their own mask in the system. Um, uh, pa they bottled water uh, because all the water fountains in one uh, particular school system in Alabama were turned off for six months.
1: My God,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. So you see what I'm saying? I mean, it, it these and this goes to my my larger point in reading those things and say and and talking about this is. We don't have necessarily an overall funding problem in in Alabama schools, okay? We have money. What we have is a distribution problem there because of one of the things that I mentioned before, where we punish schools that are failing, quote unquote, and we don't base funding necessarily on the poverty rates of school systems. And of individual schools, we there are I, there are some. Before anybody gets all carried away, I understand that there are some. There is some measure of that that has been done over the last several years, but it is nowhere close to equitable in terms of measuring what school a school system. Let's say like Mountain Brook, you know, just to go right to the top of the list, what they provide in per pupil funding versus what. The poorest school system, let's go to Montgomery County, for example, what is provided per pupil in those systems, okay? And a lot of people judge that on, well, here's what we get from the state and the federal government, and, and, you know, well, okay, then, you know, we can see that. But- Take a look at the facilities that are available. Take a look at the products that are available for the children. Take a look at uh, the technology that is available for these kids in those classrooms. And if you w- can walk in to a school in Mountain Brook or, you know, uh, any pick, a, pick a, Athens, Hell, Athens, Madison. Uh, if you can walk into a school in those districts and then walk into one in Montgomery County or Lowndes County or, you know, Anywhere in the in the high poverty rates, pick a high poverty, Jackson yeah. County, hell, Jackson County, walk into one over there uh, yeah. if we want to remove race from the equation, uh, you know, walk, walk into Jackson County school sometime. If you can tell me that those schools are on a similar level. You'd be lying your ass off. They're not. Yeah. We're not yeah. even taught. We're not even close to equitable in those things. And you can't tell me that it's all on parents. Parents aren't donating that much damn money to the schools. Okay. I mean, maybe they are in Mountain Brook, but, but for these other systems, it's not. It's, we're talking about a funding issue that comes from the tax base of the communities. Okay. And if we're not, if we're not making that up, then we're doing a disservice to the kids that are going into those poor schools. And then you're punishing them further by yanking more money away from them. What the hell is exactly. wrong with you?
1: Exactly, and and the other the other thing, it's such a short sighted social construct that 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 uh, Marsh and these others are buying into because you know by depleting or depleting, uh, by depleting these schools, ultimately what you're doing is you're 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 sowing the seeds that lead to the kinds of social ills and challenges that you're automatically going to have when you have children that are impoverished and undereducated, and I don't care what race they are. I don't care if they're white, black, Indian, whatever. You know, poverty and undereducation Mm -hmm. almost guarantees that you're going to have crime, you're going to have high pregnancy rates, you're going to have other things that we decry as a society, and then we start legislating and over-legislating to try to address when if we would deal with it on the front end by seeding the ground from an educational standpoint in a way where everybody gets an equal opportunity to grow and to learn mm-hmm. and to do so in the healthiest way possible, that's how you create the society you, you want to have. You know what? I, I almost, I almost
0: disagree with you a little bit. OK. And um, and and it's in this regard, uh, because I think when whenever you say. Uh, an equal opportunity. People take that to mean that what we should be doing should be strictly equal across the board. Okay. That's not, we're not going to succeed like that. Um, Our poorest schools and our highest poverty rate schools and our schools that struggle the most, they need more. They're going to need more. You're going to have to give them more than what you're giving other, other school systems that are, that are doing okay. Not to the detriment of the school systems that are doing okay, but figure out a baseline that can that can meet both needs, figure out how to give this this struggling school system. Way more resources, way more teachers, way more uh, counselors. Way, you know, uh, you know, do what LeBron James did. Go to the local business communities around. There is nothing. Yeah, it's been for a long time with a lot of people in in public education, and that's you know, you, you get these charter schools that pop up, and they go around to businesses all over the all over the communities, and they talk about donations and giving in uh, giving this money for for our better our school system and things like that. There is nothing stopping our public schools from doing the same thing. From, from going in and, and creating campaigns in, in communities to go out and say, Hey, partner with us and, and give us whatever, you know, to help these, the, these schools, you know, make it a tax write off, however we need to do it. And I know, I know that there are some, there are some school systems out there that are doing that. And I think they have seen the benefits of this, but not enough. And I know that this was, I talked to people in Montgomery about this all the time is, you know, go around to these businesses and say, listen, we need help with our, th- look at what you're doing for this charter program. Can you do the same thing for us? You know, can can you all, can the state get behind you and help you in economic development issues, you know, and put that on the table for businesses that are relocating here. You know, right. th- those sorts of things is what we're we're going to have to do that to help
1: these kids. But uh you know, I'm not against anything you're saying. I I I support everything you're saying. When I talk about equity No, no, I know. It, yes. It, yeah, I was opportunity, I mean yeah. what I am really saying is, you know, um you know, that doesn't, in my mind, that doesn't uh, preclude schools that are in more desperate circumstances getting right. more help. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is we need to be trying to create an environment where every child has the same opportunity,
2: mm-hmm. so
1: an equal opportunity. So to me, what that means is, you know, uh, you know, there, there's some children who due to uh, racism, due to poverty, due to whatever family dynamics, you know, they're not at the same starting line that other children are at, okay? They're further back. So we as a society certainly need to, if we want to, if we don't want to do it for the children, if we don't want to do it for the families, if we don't want to do it because we're good Christians or whatever we call ourselves, Mm -hmm. then we at least ought to want to do it for the sake of the society. We need to create scenarios where those children who are, who are 10 yards back from the starting line can be up on the same starting line. hundred percent. hundred percent. So that's, that's what I'm saying. And, and this is why I think these kinds of efforts are short-sighted because they undermine that opportunity to do that for these children. In fact, they make it more likely that in my mind, that instead of being 10 yards back, they may end up 20 yards back when the final count is done.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. And that's what I'm saying. I, I didn't I didn't disagree with you in, in, in what you were saying. I, I just mm. uh, I, I think some people take it, you know, uh, equal to mean equal across the board in terms of everything. And and that's not you're, what we're looking for is an equal starting point uh, here. Mm. And, it, and in some ways to get kids uh, to that equal starting point, you're going to have to provide more help and more assistance. Um, and, you know. The the other problem that I have here, and, and you hear this a lot, is, well, we're going to give that $5,500 or $6,500 or whatever the per-people funding is to the parents. That's not their damn money. Exactly. That's my money. You know, and, and I didn't give that to that student. I gave that money, just like everybody else did here, for the society that you just That's talked right. about. We, right. I, didn't, I don't know. I'm not giving that to you to go to, to you know, to, to send out to a private school. I gave that to you so your kid could go to this school over here and we would have a better educated society. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know where this idea came from that somehow or another that's their money and, and that it's their right to use it. However, it's not if you don't want your kid to go to the public schools that we're paying for. Take his ass wherever you want him to go, okay? I don't care. Take him. You're free to do that. You're just not free to do it with my money, Mm -hmm. you know? I want my money to go to this public school to educate the public uh, school children in our society and give them the best possible education that they can have. Uh, You know, and you can tell me all day long that the private school is doing a better job. I don't know that. How do you know that? What what measure are you basing that on, Uh, you know? Are are you saying, I I know this, there's a whole lot of people out there uh, that judge a school, uh, will tell you that school, one school is better than another. And when you actually look up the test scores, yeah, not so much, but what that other school is, is a lot more white than the school that they think is the worst school. Um, And that often equates to better school around here uh, is, is the school that is not as diverse as the other school. And so, you know, I, and to me, I think that if you ask me if I had a choice of where I would send my daughter to school, I would send her to the system in Montgomery that where uh, is, is the magnet school system there? Uh, now, I, I have argued against the magnet uh, program being separated from the regular schools, and I still think that's accurate. But if you're asking me about which schools are the best schools and produce the best students and have a diverse student body. It's those ones in Montgomery. And a lot of those kids are from very poor backgrounds. I want to say they're like around 50 percent free and reduced lunch uh, in in the uh, in the school body there. And so yet somehow or another, they still do a fantastic job of educating all the kids and and producing some of the best students in the country. And when those kids come out, they have a wholly different perspective on life in Montgomery than those private school kids do. And it's so yeah. weird to me to, to watch those kids from uh you know from those lamp uh, is the, is the big school down there that you, you hear a lot about It's the high school and it's often rated as the number one or number two high school in the country and they though those kids are at. They're at protests. They're they're out in the community doing, you know, creating community programs. Uh, they, I remember one of the big ones was there was a mosque that wanted to build uh, a new building in Montgomery. And uh, uh, we're building it behind this more affluent neighborhood. And all the people were outraged. They were up in arms. They were trying to block this from being built you know, as, as though it was like an ISIS training facility that was coming in behind them or some shit. <laughs> um, the people sitting out front. At the at the city council meeting where this was going to be decided, we're all a group of LAMP students, high school kids, you know, that were holding up signs. And so so that's, you know, that's what I would prefer for my daughter is not just to have a a quality education, but to, to go to school with people who look different than she does who have a different perspective on life, who have different religions, who have different, you know, everything is different and to learn and be friends with those people. And I mean, that to me is an education, you know, it's not just books and, 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 you know, the shit that you can just memorize and stuff. It's, it's getting to know those people and having an understanding of the world, uh, and, and a a better understanding of all the people around you and to not base your ideas of people based on ignorant shit, like their skin color, uh, you know, or, Right. what they happen to believe and judge people based on, you know, on, on how they treat you and how they treat others. And uh, yeah. so, but you know, yeah. that that's just so, my rant
1: for today. So you're, sure. I mean, you know, uh, and that's, that's why I just say you are a credit to your race, Josh. You're just <laughs> such an awesome guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, everybody just
0: left the podcast
1: <laughs> but uh but I, I but i I'll say one thing that you said that struck me as as uh struck a thought in my mind. it's kinda interesting um you know um it's so funny to me how people are afraid of a mosque coming yeah. into into their community, yeah. But they're not afraid of the insurrectionists and the Nazis Mm -hmm. and the others that may already be there, Yeah, you know, by virtue of their, and I'm not saying that's every white community, but, but, but it does strike me as interesting that, that, um, that they don't seem concerned about, you know, the, the people who might be you know, uh, the first in line to get on a bus and go to, go to D.C. on January the 6th and, you know, and smear mm-hmm. feces on the wall and, and, and chant, hang Mike Pence. But they're scared of a mosque. That's you just know, fascinating to me. Do you know
0: what some people in my family would do to me if I told them, if I even hinted that I might be okay with Nazis after they were, went across the world you know, after mm-hmm. after our family members went across this, the globe uh, to who to to risk their lives and limbs, literally a couple of them limbs, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to fight against that shit. And, right. and to now think that there are people that sympathize with that mindset and that ideology in right. America.
1: Yeah. I mean, how in the what are you what are you doing?
0: What are you talking
1: about? And you know? I mean it's because it's beginning just to be so pronounced. I mean, this I can't remember where this happened, but some some poor young man, uh a Jewish young man, uh was beaten brutally by a group of Nazi savage animalistic thugs uh after they saw a star of david i think on his license uh, probably not his license plate but on his car or something yeah so they see that i just heard this report uh just uh, within the past day or so i mean my god what 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 in the world are we where where are we going in our society? <laughs> no, know? I
0: mean
1: we got the greatest generation
0: that we that we often you know talk about as the, as the you know the greatest people in, in American history. You know that but generation that went over and fought World War II and um, you know and saved basically the world from from Nazism and to think that you would then you know seventy years later have these people that are buying into you know that Nazi ideology and and white supremacy and the, uh, the you know the superior race bullshit and you know uh, let me tell you this if, if we were the superior race we wouldn't be buying into that all right uh, i mean we mm-hmm. wouldn't be so easily misled by the orange man and you know we wouldn't <laughs> be so uh <laughs> we wouldn't fall for quite so many email scams and uh you know it it just uh, I don't know. It, it is. And I think, you know, all this kind of ties back in together, though, uh, with, with the school argument that we had. We've we've done everything that we can from breakaway school districts to charter schools uh, to, um, yeah, you, you know, the, the real estate scams that we've pulled to try to keep black families out of white neighborhoods mm-hmm. uh, and white school districts. Um, you know, uh, we, we've done all sorts of things. And this attempt to resegregate schools because white people ignorantly believe that that is the way to to better schools and better achievement for students. When it is proven, proven by numbers, that the greatest advancement in education in this country's history was during the time when the schools were integrated. Mm. When you started that little, uh, it was about a 10 year period of integration there. That was the greatest growth from the bottom up, and it did not hurt the top at all. The scores remained high and started to, to move upwards. The bottom portion of students started to move upwards as well, and it was because of the equality that we talked about in the school systems already. I, I mean, it's just it's a proven fact, and you can there. I mean, there's a great NPR episode about this, and uh, you know, podcasts about the whole thing, and, and you know, maybe we can post that up at some point. But it's a uh, you know th- that's where we are with this, and until we get to that level and stop this running. You know, and running away from what we perceive to be bad schools, uh, and instead start fixing those schools and making that, taking pride in correcting that, then we're always going to be stuck at fiftieth in all sorts of different categories. So
1: agreed. agreed. All right,
0: let's uh, let's slide out of here. We'll come right back with uh, Representative Sam Jones and talk about some economic development, some other things going on in the uh, Mobile area and around the state. Back in a minute, Alabama politics this week.
1: I'm David Person with Alabama Politics this week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast. And I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends And also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot.
0: All righty. Welcome back. Alabama politics this week. Josh Moon, David Person. Person. No S, person. Um, (laughs) uh, We are happy now to uh, to have with us uh, Representative Sam Jones uh, from the Mobile area. Uh, uh, Representative, uh, thank you for joining us. Give us a few minutes uh, of your time this afternoon. I know y'all are busy up there in Montgomery. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, you know, we wanted to uh, uh to talk to you about uh infrastructure uh, specifically. Um and because we all of a sudden got a lot of infrastructure money uh, that we've never had before, uh but y- y'all in, in Mobile have you you know kind of firsthand what that does uh for in terms of bringing job growth and other things that so you know what
2: what what infrastructure can do for you, right? Oh, yeah. In order to be competitive, especially with the international industries that we are trying to attract to the state, infrastructure is vitally important. I was actually serving as mayor of Mobile when we got the Airbus project into Mobile. And what it took to do that was really the infrastructure was one of the major, major amenities that Mobile had that was able to draw them to our community. So infrastructure is very important and projects that are taking place throughout the state are very, very important now, uh, be they um, roads, be they bridges, um, they, in fact, in a lot of cases, sanitary sewage and, and water are also real issues when it comes to major infrastructure. So I'm, I'm happy to see us going in that direction because I think it will prove to be very successful. And, be, you know, we compete, actually, when we compete with nat- for national industry, we compete with everybody in the United States. So uh, it's very, very important that we're a competitive uh, state and a competitive community to draw those projects.
0: You know, uh, as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, one of the one of the biggest gripes, I think, that, that a lot of people have had. And I, I don't know whether, whether you, you share this with, uh, like I do or not, but um, is is the amount of money we sometimes give away in tax breaks. Uh, when we're talking about our economic development uh, proposals and things like that and I, I've got to think that if you can put on the table, hey look we've got these the, these new roads, these new bridges, these new uh, the, the the port system, the airports that are here, uh, uh, you know broadband internet that's expanded across the state and access to all that that has to re- doesn't that reduce the amount of
2: taxes we might have to put on the table to attract companies? Well, well, it does it, in some cases. The the bottom line, though, is that there are some other states that we compete with that has a much better package of infrastructure to sell that, than we do, and that there are other things that you do for industries. The one thing that Alabama has that a lot of other states don't have is whenever we do incentives for industry, we usually have a callback clause in it, and it's based on the number of jobs that they create and the revenue that they bring into the community. Mm-hmm. And if they're not able to do that, then they have to reimburse those incentives that were given. So uh, in many cases, the infrastructure, we are are competitive in that. Some people are more competitive than us. Then we got to be competitive in other areas in order to draw a project. And it is is very, very competitive to draw a project that's going to bring thousands of jobs into a state or into a community. So it takes actually a combination of things as it relates to how you become competitive.
1: Uh, Mr. Jones, uh, glad that you're with us on the podcast today. I, I want to ask you a couple of things that are sort of tangential to what you and Josh have been talking about, but they're not—they're not exactly uh, in that same arena. But they—but they're—they're close. Uh, one is about the uh, the Clotilda. I uh, want to ask you about the Clotilda because um, the increased attention that the Clotilda is getting. Um, as a as a as a piece of uh, African American history, Alabama history, uh, should should I think yield some sort of economic benefit to Mobile? Do you agree with that? And are you aware of, in light of this, the most recent attention? Are you aware of any plans to really capitalize on that? Well,
2: yes, I, I think that you you're absolutely correct. It could be a real economic incentive in our area in terms of what we see coming, especially in tourism. Uh, there are no other places in the United States where you could come and say the last slave ship end enter the United States landed here. And we found where it was scuttled in the river. And then now they brought it up out of the river doing actually some um, pres- preservation to it. And that community is really developing some historic Pretty, actually historic sites that people can see. And the one thing about the Clotilla is a little different from what we saw with uh, Alex Haley's movie Roots. Uh, the people on the Clotilla can actually trace their direct descendants to mm-hmm. Africa. I mean, they, they, it's not that they didn't know where they came from. It is not because some of those people live to be very, very, uh, they live into their senior years They were you know, some close to 100 years old. So they passed that down to their relatives and to the descendants, and and they have a real story to tell. But we think that there should be some national attention given to it, as well as attention at the state. And the state is working with the local community in that. And, you know, I I think we're getting some national um, agencies working to do that because it is a find that is really uh, very, very phenomenal for us. Uh ever since I've lived in Mobile and I was born in Mobile, we've had heard stories about that. We've heard different stories. Now they've pinpointed just where it is. They've actually excavated the site. They've now uh, started building a center. And the people in that community, the Africa Town community, if you I think you might know that there's a bridge that's called the Africa Town Bridge. And, and when you cross that bridge, that bridge lands right into Africa Town. So we think that there are a lot of possibilities for it. Um, there's a lot of excitement in the community about it. And um, I don't know if it's widely known, but the people from Benin, West Africa, come to Mobile for Africa Town celebrations. The king and, and several of the fishers there have been to Mobile on several occasions. I would say over the last 10 years. Wow. This, this really, really legitimizes all of that to find that ship. Hey, listen. No. Um, I'm
0: I'm sorry to interrupt y'all. Y'all are gonna have to stop talking about this. This is clearly CRT, and that's illegal. Um, um, so uh, I, I'm gonna have to ask that we, we cut all this out because uh, we don't want anybody to know about this history. So please, y'all, stop talking. Uh,
2: well, that, that, that's a, that's an interesting subject you, you raise. Uh, I I think that the thing that's amazing to me about CRT is I have not seen anyone who's come up with a definition of CRT. I, you know, everybody you talk to have their own definition. But, you know, I, I read an article about a young man whose name happened to be Robert Lee, and he's a descendant of Robert E. Lee. Mm-hmm. And he has an interesting take. He says that history ought to be about truth. Mm-hmm. Not, and and, and the, the bottom line to that is if all the truth is told, you know, some going to be negative, some going to be positive. But you can't just pick out a part of it and, and yeah. leave the rest to just vanish. So what we are seeing now with this generation we're in is they are digging and looking and, and coming up with really what actually happened on both sides of the spectrum. And some people don't want that talk. I, I at one time, while I was in the Navy, one of the things that I was was a racial awareness facilitator. Hmm. And that means that you get groups of guys together and you talk to them about the differences then the different ways they live and try to dispel some of the things that they were taught that really was not truthful, mm-hmm. uh, that one group was inferior to another or that everybody in this group is on food stamps and everybody in the other group was born affluent and, you know, those kind of issues. But I think that discussion made a lot of difference to the people I came in contact with, a whole lot of difference. Absolutely. And I, and in in our area, to not want to discuss it, hmm. I mean, sooner or later, the truth will come to the light. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And, and that's one of the things I think about CRT. Now, yeah. CRT to some people is teaching one group that another group is bad. Yeah, it, it, it's really that's not a true definition of CRT. No, I no think it's not. That, in fact, I think that it's name wrong. I, I think it ought to be like Mister Lee said. I think it ought to be historic truth. is right. what we ought to be dealing with okay. Well, so uh, let me, I mean, if you,
0: if you keep teaching so, that, you know, some of these people around here might learn that the Civil War wasn't actually about just states' rights and taxes.
1: Exactly, you know? exactly. And that's really part of what I think they want to obscure. Let yeah. me ask you one other question, uh, okay. uh, uh, Mr. Jones. And this is, uh, again, this is tangential to what you and Josh were talking about. Uh, there is a community in Mobile called 8 Mile. Uh, And for a number of years, I've been aware of, at least for the past five to six years, I've been aware of the fact that uh, residents of 8 Mile have been very concerned about uh, a natural gas leak that uh, they say was caused by a lightning strike. I've been down to 8 Mile. I've talked to the people down there on, on a couple of occasions. And, um, and I believe that based on what I've been told, that this is a very serious crisis in that community and one that certainly has not only health implications, but uh, economic uh, implications as well. Are you, are you aware of the eight mile situation and, and, and what, what, what can you tell us about it?
2: Well, I once resided in 8 Mile, and and there was a a scent of gas all the time in the community. And no one could give an explanation of why that was. Well, actually, there's a gas treatment plant right off a lot road in 8 Mile that uh, they found was actually the origin of that. And I understand that they did, did find there was some malfunction there. That scent is not there anymore. There was some malfunction of it. There was a, uh, a court case that came up about that, and a lot of investigations done on it. I, I don't know specifically all the details of how it was resolved, but I, I do understand that they have found the origin of it, and some people will be compensated for damages as a result of it, but um, it has been there for some time. Um, I lived in 8 Mile for about 14 years. And, in fact, one of the pipelines run across the edge of my property that wasn't where the leak was; it was closer to the plant. I understand, so um, I don't know all the specifics of the action that was taken, but I do know that there was an action taken and an investigation done on the source
1: yes sir and i'm I'm aware of those things too uh but it but my understanding, at least as of um I'll say three years ago, I'm just guesstimating as of three years ago or so, was that there was still uh, a feeling in the community that the issue had not been resolved in a way that was truly equitable. People are concerned not just about the smell that was there, but also about the contamination of the soil and the groundwater.
2: As a a result of that, uh, 8 Mile is really located in the city of Pritchard. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, the the city of Pritchard has also been been dealing with that. Um, The contamination, water contamination, I am not specifically aware of what contaminants they may have found in the water. But I do know that that's that's being addressed and um, there is an action in place right now that's been taking place with that.
1: Thank you
0: is mm-hmm. that, that kind of um is a is a good transition into into one thing I wanted to ask you about. And uh, because and I think you kind of mentioned it in passing earlier when we were talking about infrastructure, uh, because one of the key components uh of the infrastructure package that was passed by the Biden administration and particularly for Alabama, uh had to do with our sewer systems and water lines uh throughout the state. Um and particularly, I think, in the Black Belt region and in some other poorer communities where we have allowed um those lines. To either not never be installed, or uh, to deteriorate to the point where it is a health hazard for the communities and the people there, and I think is also a deterrent uh, for people uh, to just regular people to locate here, much less businesses to locate uh, to the state. Uh, I just want to kind of get your thoughts on that and how you feel like this infrastructure package may may address that and help.
2: I certainly think that there, that there are some parts of the infrastructure package that actually is uh, being appropriated to address some of that issue. The big issue is that some of the folk in some of that area has never been on sanitary sewage. They've had septic temp uh, systems that have failed due to them not being able to perch. And there are others who who really uh, can't get septic systems. So in that particular area, it's a serious, serious problem. And basically all of that is basically in the Black Belt, where the major problem is. And uh, that is one of the things that's supposed to be addressed with this infrastructure package. But I, I think it's going to take a sewer processing plant to be uh, actually placed in that community. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the only real you know, solution to this problem. And the many rural areas don't have those systems. Even in 2022, we should have that. And that should be a priority for the state. Certainly should be a priority for uh, ADEM because of the hazards it's caused. So, uh, yeah, I I am aware of that. And I am aware that it's being addressed. I don't know if it's being addressed to a point where it will alleviate the problem for everyone in that area. But I know that they're going to address it to a point where they're going to try to um, actually put a system in that area.
1: what do you think about the justice department's uh, allegation that uh, the black community or at least the it's the i sh- maybe I shouldn't say it's an allegation, but certainly it's the it's the premise for their investigation uh, the the concern that perhaps black families have been disproportionately affected by uh, what what is happening uh, in uh, in uh, Haleyville and other areas?
2: It's uh, it, you know that's prob that is it probably is true because of where it's located and who lives there. Uh, most of those counties are predominantly black counties, as far as residents are concerned, and, and those counties uh, historically have been neglected with with public health basically with uh, environmental health, with uh, sanitary systems uh, over the years. So uh, these are things that should have been actually addressed years ago that's just being addressed this year. So it's a major issue. It's a major problem. It's also a major health problem. Mm
0: -hmm. We'll we'll get you you out of here uh, on this. We really do appreciate your time. But I I wanted to ask you, y'all just went through uh, kind of – uh, giving out the, or deciding how the money was going to be spent, the ARPA funds are going to be spent uh, from the federal government. It's just you know uh, millions and millions of dollars, and I, I so yeah, you know, I've read through some of the coverage, but I, I don't know that I've actually asked uh, the, the the folks who were involved in this, especially on the Democratic side, how what your thoughts were on on how the these things were divvied up um and on on how you believe this will be handled and, and if you have some confidence that this will that they will be you know sorted out fairly and that they'll go to problems that uh, that we really need to
2: to solve one of the issues that we have is we don't see the application processes once they're put together they're put together by state departments uh-huh. so sometimes those particular applications and the qualifications for some of those money we're concerned about that we're also so concerned that the reason we got the money was because of the pandemic. Right. We think the first thing you should do is address some of the problems we have with health care throughout <laughs> the state and with our healthcare institutions being able to continue to address the problems that people have with COVID. Um, I think that that should be the top priority regardless of what else we do. That should be the top priority. We were not happy with the way that the prison got, $400 million, not because we don't think we need to build new prisons, but we think we need to build new prisons with new programs. We don't right. think you keep doing the same thing and expect a different result. So um, we were not happy with n- no programs being involved in. It. Basically, what it is is brick and mortar. Mm-hmm. And you will never build enough prisons. The whole, all the folk you're gonna put in prison, because there's no way for them to actually transition back in the community as productive citizens if you don't have programs in the education and training program that's gonna change, as well as mental health program and drug addiction program. If we don't have those installed properly in the prison, then what we'll be looking for is someone to build some more prisons, uh, <laughs> and and that that's the problem. That's a problem. Whether you're in the city, I served the county commission for years and serving on the county commission. When the jail population gets stagnant, then you got a serious problem in your county. So what you have to do is come up with transitional programs, uh, be they uh, drug courts, uh, programs like that that kind of move the population and get people back into the community, especially those non-violent uh, of people who are in prison or in the county jail.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I think uh, pretty much everybody uh, who is listening to this is going to say amen, uh, mm-hmm. uh, because I know we are. And and listen, uh, we, we appreciate you spending some time. I know we, we pulled you right out of the chamber and, uh, and, and threw you right into an interview. And, and we really do appreciate you taking some time to, to be with us and to talk about these things, because I think they're, everything you said was very, very important. And, um, and, and I think it provides a perspective that a lot of people in this state need to hear uh, and, and understand. So thank you for your time, Mr. Jones.
2: Well, thank you, and I appreciate you allowing us to come and give some details to people in the community because you just see a title when you see a piece of legislation, and what it actually does is important for you to hear that. So thank you Thanks, so much for having me. All oh, right, no problem.
0: Mr. Thank you. Thank you. And you're absolutely right about that. And that is uh, Representative Sam Jones from Mobile. He's it was great, and and he's right. It's uh, it, It's important, and it's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this podcast. Uh, is, is let people in on the process, uh, that, that goes on and to, and to hear from, from Democrats that, you know, that, uh, that yeah. never, you know, they, they're never on the right wing shows. And if they are, it's because somebody wants to, to go on and talk over them the whole time and, uh, you know, and, and to cut their words up. And, uh, you know, I shouldn't say everybody. There are a couple of guys out there that, that aren't terrible about it. But, you know, for the most really? part, that's You what can name some.
1: You can actually I, well, answer.
0: You know what? I, I honestly, I'll, I'll say this I, I, uh, because I've had experience on, on his show and I've heard others on his show. Jeff Poor, uh, oh, really? who I don't okay. agree with on pretty much anything, but he's had mm-hmm. me on. He's had Bill Britt, my boss, on. Uh, he's had other Democrats on there. And he gives you an opportunity to tell your side. And he'll say whether he agrees or he disagrees, and and you have a conversation. Uh, okay. You know, to me, it's 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 different than the other screaming crazies out there. So, right. Uh, but yeah, uh, but we do we do appreciate your representative <laughs> Sam Jones coming on with us, and uh, uh, you know, it, it it's very important I think to get those perspectives out there. But we'll we'll slide out, come back in just a minute, to wrap this thing up. It's Alabama politics this week. Hey, everybody, if you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, shoot a question over to APWProducer at gmail.com. That's APWProducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what, what everybody likes to drink or you know, where everybody likes to hang out or you know, whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? So shoot us a question over at APWproducer at gmail.com. APWproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. Uh, thanks to uh, Representative Sam Jones for coming yep, on yep. there with us. Nice. Um, yeah. it's, um, you know, there have been, well, first of all, let me do the things that I always forget to do. If you would like to leave us a comment, make any suggestions, you know, critique us in any way, there are a couple of options for you. One, you can always go and leave us a rating and a review at, at, at Apple Podcasts, and we would appreciate that very much because it boosts us up, and maybe someday we'll get paid for this. Um, <laughs> or, you know, a little bit more. Um and the other way is you can always email us at APw.producer at gmail.com. W. APw producer and and remember to stretch out the W, -W, APW producer (laughs) at gmail.com. That's all your questions and comments. Uh, If you have any guest ideas or uh, anybody you'd like to see on or or, or any topics that you would like for us to cover, or if you have questions, we'll always take your questions there uh, as well and, uh, and answer them to the best of our ability. Or if we can't answer them, we'll try to find somebody who knows the answer to your questions. Um, So there we go. Uh, You can always do all that. Uh, But, uh, one of the things we talked about before we came on and before we get to our right wing nut and discuss him for a little while. Um was there have been a number of bomb threats uh at HBCUs across by the country, I guess. Yeah. Um it, what is it eight, nine?
1: Um I thought there were more than that but it may, uh, it may be, yeah. But I I think if you go back um a few weeks. I want to say uh, the first part of January there were some and then we've had about maybe 8 or 9 recently. Uh, well just this week I think. So when you cut when you put them all together you know we're looking at a a, a pretty huge uh you know pretty huge number. None yeah. so far in Alabama yet to my knowledge but but, um, no,
0: I, I, as a matter of fact, you know, uh, I, I um, contacted the people at uh, at ASU and at uh, Alabama A&M and asked, um, you know, ASU sent me a statement back and said that they have, as of right now, not received uh, a bomb threat at their campus, but uh, they have contacted local and state authorities. Uh, And um, you know that that, you know put them on alert that uh, they you know might be needing extra patrols or that sort of thing, or they may be needing some, uh, um, you know, yeah, to to give them a call if if a bomb threat comes through.
1: Right. So I think there was even one. uh, People don't know this, but there is in Los Angeles. There is an HBCU, Charles Drew Medical School. And even that, and even that institution, I believe, has received a bomb threat. So, yeah, there's there's been this this uh, you know this this spate of bomb threats. They think the FBI thinks that they have identified at least some of the people who may be responsible. I think they've identified a network of. I think they describe them as juveniles. So I'm assuming I'm assuming that means they're under eighteen. Uh, uh, young, And I think they were male, or at least it appeared as though they may have been male, but with it, regardless male, female, juveniles who, uh, and I don't know how connected those young people were supposed to be, but juveniles who were using what they called sophisticated technology in order to do what they were doing in terms of calling in these bomb threats and masking their identities. Uh-huh. So that's that's good news, but you know what and this to me Josh is on the same continuum with what we talked about in the first part of the podcast uh, towards the end there when we were talking about uh some of the things that uh some of our Jewish uh brothers and sisters are being subjected to right now. The, these terroristic these racially charged terroristic activities uh really harken back to the turn of the night of the twentieth century, where in reaction to progress by people of color or perceptions that people of color, whether they're black or native or or Jewish or whomever, are making strides, you know uh there's this this uh there's this this reaction that happened, you know, a hundred plus years ago. And we're right back in this cycle again, where now we've got these, you know, we've got uh, these groups of people. And and honestly, some of them, at least indirectly, if not directly, are being, um, are being stimulated and I think activated by the former president. who's getting up and making reckless, ridiculous statements about ways that white people are being disadvantaged, you know. And so he's triggering uh, the latent racism and fears of a lot of these uh, younger people as well as older ones. And they're tapping into the Nazi themes and the the other, uh, you know, sort of traditional themes of bigotry. And uh, and that's why we end up with these bomb threats and, and Jewish people being beaten in the street and other things that are happening. And it's, you know, it's not all Trump. I mean, this stuff is always there. Yeah. But without question, Trump, I think, you know, if, you know, Trump is at the very least igniting some of it, you know?
0: Oh, yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, well, you need, you know, you need that person at that's the focal point to uh you know to tell you it's okay. Uh you know, to tell you that it's um you know that that to you know to tell you that it's all right to smear shit on the walls of the Capitol. Uh you know, that Mm -hmm. I'm gonna pardon you. Um and you know it's it's just it really is um uh what what has occurred now over the course of the last you know several years has been such a backward step um in in terms of the forward progress of of equality and and you know just basic <laughs> decency, um, you know uh, the things that deteriorated under the previous administration and the way that um, you know it, it was treated and, and it's okay for for people to believe now and and they and will openly you know tell you uh, that uh, you know certain groups of people seeking equality is somehow an affront to the white person, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 I mean, it's just pretty open now, um, you know, of what, uh, of what's taking place. And, you know, it, it is a, it's a shame. It, it really is that, that we've reached this point, uh, now and, and you listen to to Trump and he's really turned it up a notch over the last, Couple of weeks, and I, I think, I hope it's because he sees kind of the walls closing in on him, uh, mm-hmm. because there are a number of different avenues of uh, you know, where people are chasing him and his family, um, and you know through legal action, um, more, uh, criminal legal action, and and I hope that they're going <laughs> to they're going to grab some of them at some point. I think they have a really strong case in in Georgia. I think the January sixth commission is putting together a, one hell of a case to hand Man, over the DOJ. Uh, and and he helped them this week by basically witness tampering. Uh, when mm-hmm. he said he would pardon the people from January 6th. that's that's tampering with witnesses, man. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a that's what you're doing at that point. You're you're basically putting out there that this is something that you're you're willing to do, and it gives them a reason not to cooperate. He's um, just a
1: thug, man. Trump is yeah, just a thug. That's he all is.
0: he is. He is a thug. He's he's a self serving, uh, grifter that uh, it's, it's his entire goal. I mean, you look at the, the fundraising that has been done off of this and how much money he's pocketed. He's been far more successful at this, at, at uh, duping you rubes out there in the Republican Party, uh, than he was in any other business he's ever run. Uh, he, he's, I mean, he's making $100 million bucks over the last few years, and sure. y'all are still out there running around talking about how he gave up his salary as president. Shut up. I mean, it's just God. He's made so much money, and uh, and y'all, it has y'all believing that he's somehow or another worse off than he was before. It's just, y'all, you know, so stupid. Uh, but you know, speaking of which, um, let's get to our right wing note of the week here, yeah. Yeah, because we're gonna we're gonna talk about him and what went on this week. And our right wing note is a throwback to what uh, four years ago, and our boy uh, Roy Moore. Uh, who has been back in the news over the last week as he went through a defamation trial uh, where each party was suing the other for defamation. Uh, Lee Corfman, who accused one of the accusers of Roy Moore uh, back during his campaign against Doug Jones, uh, which he lost and never conceded like the president, uh, the former president. Um, and so. Korfman had alleged that uh, Moore tried to have a uh, relationship with her when she was but a 14-year-old, and um, he alleged that that was untrue and that she was a liar, and, um, you know, they went back and forth at this thing. Ultimately, the jury said, you yeah, know, we're not. We're not doing this, and just left. Uh, uh, yeah. And said uh, we're we're gonna we're not finding for anybody. Uh, nobody defame the other. Just uh, everybody kind of go away. I think is uh, is is what happened here. And and you know in doing so, uh, you would think what that that message is is that, um, Lee Korfman's allegations were believed by the jury. Uh, you know, uh, otherwise, I think those were by far the more serious allegations um, and I think were would have led more easily to a defamation case if the jury did not believe that she was being truthful in what she alleged.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the fact that they... Uh, ruled against Moore and his defamation suit against her is a pretty clear indication that they believed her. And, you know, and they just didn't believe that Moore's denial and calling her a liar rose to the level of defamation that needed to be awarded, you know, monetary damages. And so, um, but that's not the message that came from Roy Moore and his attorneys.
1: No, no, that's not. And and that's what I think really makes him the right wing nut of the week. Uh, The fact that that they are trying to spin the fact that uh, that that he wasn't found uh, liable for defamation vindicates him, right? No, he's he's ignoring the whole other part of the ruling where she wasn't found, you know, guilty of defamation. Which, in fact, as you just said, seems to suggest very strongly that the jury was like, well, she obviously didn't defame him because what she said was true here's the other thing that I think is obvious about uh about this case and which makes he and his attorney look like right wing nuts. There were other women who made the same allegations. She wasn't the only one making the allegations yeah there were a number of fingers pointing at him about his um about his behavior so it just seems to me like. You know they can try to spin it, and you know some people are going to buy it. We we yes. know that we already know that. Yeah. But but anybody with any kind of common sense is going to look at this and say, no, you're not vindicated. You just you just didn't get you know you your 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 accuser didn't prevail in terms of defamation, but you're not vindicated from. From the the original sin, if you will, you're still guilty of that. Yeah, you know, um,
0: I, and, and and there are some other things that, that took place <laughs> during this trial
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, that that also uh, don't paint a very pretty picture of his uh, his attorneys, which uh, you know, or Julian McPhillips has been a longtime Democrat, um, and and Melissa Isaac, I believe, is her name. Um, who is the attorney for men, uh, which is kind of a weird ground to stake out, I think, for a legal profession. But, you know, whatever. Um, And they there seemed to be a two prong approach here, which was um, this lady was clearly a teenage slut and Roy Moore didn't do it. Uh, which was, you yeah, know, I don't, yeah. uh, I don't understand what the, you know, why if the your whole basis of things was Roy Moore didn't do it, why they needed to then paint her as this, uh, you know, slut person? You know, I mm-hmm. mean, they talked about reading Harlequin novels and how she, you know, whatever did did all these stuff, which was basically Harlequin we, you know,
1: novels. Oh my,
0: yeah, I oh know, my. right? Yeah, uh, cut your pearls, everybody. everybody. Oh my, uh, right? It, it just, uh, it was so. It was so weird, you know, it was such a weird case all the way around. And and the way they they went about it, what it just I I don't know, man, it was, you know, they they talked about what she wore and and how it, it was just so, so bizarre because you also have these. Not only do you have these other women, you have Roy Moore talking about in his book, the fact that he met his current wife when she was like 15 years old. Yeah. he was 30 something, you know, <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about, man? You know, <laughs> it's a the old redskins clip. What are we even doing out here, man? Uh I mean, I, I just, I, I don't understand. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, you you got I know you got to build a defense on something, but I just I don't understand why the whole defense wasn't he didn't do it. She's clearly lying, you know, all, all this instead of trying to tear this lady down. And I, I mean, there were some real some real head scratching sort of things that, that came out of this that I, oh, I think one of the biggest head scratchers that came out of this was Julian McPhillips trying to paint Roy Moore as a closet Democrat.
1: Oh, I missed that one. Did he do
0: that? Oh yes. Oh yeah. He was a Democrat in disguise. Is what is what uh, Julian McPhillips said. He was. He's not really a Republican. He's a Democrat in disguise.
1: That's pretty bizarre. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty bizarre. But then I guess they don't expect most people to read the transcripts and and the court. You know the 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 court findings and all of that. That's pretty bizarre.
0: That's I guess not. I, I, it is. It's just a. It's just a weird, weird case all the way around. And and I. I hope. What I really hope is, is that this is the last time we deal with Roy Moore. Um, well,
1: you know. his wife claims that he's not getting speaking invitations from churches anymore, which I. I didn't realize that that was the case. I thought he was still getting those, but. Uh, but anyway, if that is indeed true, you know, maybe maybe he will. Maybe he'll get on that horse, Josh, and ride yeah. off into the sunset.
0: Yeah, that's right. That, uh, Maybe? Sassy? Was that the horse's name? Sassy? Nah, I
1: can't. Was it yeah. Sassy? Okay. Yeah, it's, but, yeah. um, but, you know, something tells me that uh, the stench will linger. Something tells <laughs> me the stench of Roy Moore's political yeah. aspirations will linger.
0: Well, speaking of grifters, I mean, Roy Moore has made quite a life for himself. Uh, with this little ploy, you know, I mean, he, he spotted early on, uh, you got to give him credit, I guess, for, for being able to spot this scam. Uh, and he spotted this scam early on in his, in his career where he was, you know, he saw that the 10 commandments, uh, deal in his courtroom, uh, brought about a little controversy and he was able, man, he's parlayed that into an entire life. And yeah, I mean, just, he yeah, really has. He's really, he's parlayed that, that, that 10 commandment stuff into an entire life's earnings is what he's done. Well, and I—I mean, it. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. Uh, I mean, th- dude, there have been. Let me just tell you, I have covered this this fool for so long. Yeah. Um, and and I have been to things that where <laughs> where he is I've been speaking. I was at one where he was. Uh, there was a trial that was going to happen. I, I I guess about kicking him out again, and across the street. From the the courthouse in Montgomery, mm-hmm. there was a guy wearing overalls mm-hmm. and a long red beard, and he was blowing a ram's horn. That's all yeah. he did. He's walked around blowing yeah. a ram's horn, man. Yeah.
1: And uh, yeah, the Shafar, Yeah, that sounds yeah. like uh, yeah.
0: Wow, it's like something yeah. out of you know uh, of some sort of deal where you're everybody's about to die, and yeah. you know you're. It's just it's just the weirdest.
1: I mean, it really is it, like a, a, a religious yeah, cult experience. It, it is. It is. But I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to slightly disagree with you. Okay. Um, and I say slightly because I think your ending point is right. Where Roy Moore is now, I think he's exactly doing what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you, I was in a, I, for those who don't know, I used to be on the Huntsville Times' editorial board years ago. And we had a meeting with Roy Moore, just us and Roy Moore in, mm-hmm. a, in a conference room. And I got to tell you, that guy has the charm of, and I'm going to say something very weighted here, but he's a public figure. He's uh-huh. put himself out there. And I think it's a fair, it's a fair opinion, uh, whether people agree with me or not. He had the charm, that mix of charm and intellect that you find with cult leaders. (laughs) And I say that because what he was doing with us was he was quoting and assuming, you know, the quotes were accurate. He was quoting what he purported, what purportedly were huge passages of the, I think it was the U.S. Constitution. And, and he weaves, as a speaker, he weaves a very, uh, a very captivating narrative, you know. I didn't agree with the guy's politics. I didn't agree with what he was saying. But I found him, Josh, very captivating. And I think that that's the kind of captivation that it can come from two places. It can come from a con man or mm-hmm. it can come from a zealot. At that particular point in time, I think it was coming from a zealot. Now yeah. I think it's coming from now I'm now I think where he is now, I think it's coming from a con man. I think I think he has made the transformation sort of out of necessity. Mm-hmm. But when he was putting up the Ten Commandments in his courtrooms, and then when he had that big monstrosity constructed and put it in the judicial mm-hmm. building in Montgomery. I don't think he was a con man at that point. I think he was a true believer.
0: I don't know, man. I uh, I, I think that I, I, well, first of all, I think that there is not a, a clear line drawn between those two things. Mm. Uh, I think that there is uh, there's often uh, zealots um, uh, who are um, who are also con men and, and con men that uh, that believe uh, at least partially in what they're doing. And I think that's where, where Roy Moore lands. I think that he he is a believer of a lot of the things that he says, but I also think that he is very smart about, um, uh, you know, how to use those things, Uh, Mm how to, how to, how to get money out of people, how to, how to use them for his own personal benefit. And um, so therefore I think that's what, He's, uh, you know, I think that's that's what has aided him best is he knows how to use uh, the the religion and and stuff. And you're right, he is very he's a very engaging person when you talk to him. Um, and and you know, I'd say again, that's a very cult leader, uh, religious leader uh, trait, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, but I've often found that that's true with a lot of people where if you find somebody who believes in themselves and has this level of confidence that you can't really wrap your head around, and they say things with that level of confidence and assuredness in themselves, then it it sounds, you want to believe it. You want to believe that they know what they're talking about. Even if you know what they're saying is complete horseshit, you know, Mm. you want to believe in what they're saying. Um, And uh, that's, I think, what happened with Roy Moore. And, you know, and so... Um, you know, and, and he came within an eyelash of being our U.S. senator. Whew. Yeah, thank God for Doug Jones and um, and some you know and people that, that went the other way. Yeah, and Richard Shelby. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And it, it just uh, you know, but I'll say this: he's he's not a racist because as they reminded us, their attorney is a Jew. So um, <laughs> and and also and also that jury. that that uh, that acquitted him it was all black jury and they pointed that out in the press release so Uh, uh, free to last free to last my my people (laughs) alright let's slide out of here Uh, we'll be back uh, uh, next week and uh, you know until then y'all be safe out there
1: peace